worship. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. As Paul shares with us this truth, that every opportunity that you are given is a gospel opportunity. That every situation is a gospel situation. That every circumstance is a gospel circumstance. Paul is in prison. He's always in prison whenever we read through the New Testament. He is in prison regularly, repeatedly, always in the clink. What a feeling to be in that situation. I always think that I'm going to go to jail when I get pulled over for various traffic uh, reasons. Uh, if I run a stop sign, six months. If I am driving on an expired tag like I am right now, two to five years. If I speed too quickly, I'm going to San Quentin. I, you kind of, if you drive for two years without a bumper, people just think that guy's probably breaking the law a lot. <laughs> I was in college, I got pulled over a lot uh, for different reasons. Uh, and I remember one cop, he was, he'd set a speed trap because they do that from time to time. And in this speed trap, he, he pulls me over and he begins to have a conversation with me. And he could tell that I was a little frustrated, a tad upset. That I was trying to, to talk him out of giving me a ticket. And he looked at me and said in this really gravelly voice, Speed kills, son. But thanks, Nancy Reagan. Um, when we look into Paul's story, we kind of see what takes place with him, the narrative of it, through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 24, he's imprisoned. In Acts chapter 25, he's imprisoned again. In Acts chapter 28, we see that he's under house arrest in Rome. And that's kind of where we are in today's text. He's in this arrest. And as he is arrested, we see that every potential has this opportunity to be a good news opportunity. Good news advancing will be the title that we have for today's sermon. If you have your Bibles, feel free to look alongside of me, uh, with me. Uh, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of my brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others preach Christ out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed? And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Because we see this text that every opportunity has the potential to be a gospel opportunity. That every situation has the opportunity to be a gospel situation. That every circumstance for the believer is a gospel circumstance. This passage breaks down a little bit like this. Verses 12 through 14, we see the circumstance of the passage. We talk through Paul's circumstance. In verses 15 through 17, we have two things that we'll see. Conflict and competition. It's like when you get extra fries in your bag at Chick-fil-A. Two points in one section. Conflict and competition in 15 through 17. And in verses 18 through 20, you get concern. One more time for those in the back. You have concern, 12 through 14. 
conflict and competition in 15 through 17. And in verse 18 through 20, you have concern. Let's look at this circumstance. We are looking at this in light of what Paul is telling us about the gospel. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the word gospel, it's kind of a big deal around here. And around here, I mean in Christendom and in all of Christianity. For those of us who would claim the name of Jesus, that we will believe the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. If you're wondering what the gospel is and how we should articulate that, I'm going to give you my, uh, my best shot based upon what we see in this teaching today that we are a sinful people incapable of dealing with our sin in, its own, in our own power. You and I are sinful and we are, in a, we are unable to deal with our sin in and of our own power. Through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, death is defeated and the power of hell is nullified. That's what the gospel is. And you may be in this room right now, more than likely you are, unless you're watching online and we welcome you. But if you are here, you may say to yourself, you don't know how bad my sin is. I don't. I don't know anything about many of you. I don't know how bad your sin is, but I know how good Jesus is. And the Bible takes us to the goodness of Jesus over and over. Charles Spurgeon, who's been called the Prince of Preachers, He said this, Christ loves to forgive even more than you love to sin. Now because that's in the second person, we may miss the depth of it. Christ loves to forgive even more than I love to sin. Christ loves to forgive in that way. So we see the circumstance of the text in 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Now whenever we see the phrase, what has happened, we have to ask, what had happened? What took place? Paul's in prison. He's pointing us to that. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ Jesus. Now hear me, friends. Paul is an apostle who travels from church to church proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. That's the whole point of what you do. This is the equivalent of... For a traveling apostle to be stuck in one place is the equivalent to a quarterback having his hands super glued to his head. This is an important thing for Paul to move from place to place, but he looks at this and says, but I'm here right now for the advancement of the gospel. And I know this is going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, and there will be times that this hurts, but it's worth it because the gospel is worth it. Things hurt sometimes for the sake of advancement. I entered into this competition. My, my friend uh, Zach, he's here with us today. Feel free to say hello to Zach. Uh, not right now, that'd be awkward. But Zach texted me and said, Hey, I know how much you, you walk. Uh, there's this competition called Step Bet. And I said, Okay, what's Step Bet? So I began to look into this. And basically, you put in, you enter into a group where you put in just a little bit of money, but you believe that you are going to meet your step goal over the next six weeks and you'll get your money back and for all those clowns who drop out you get their money too what a competition this is my kind of thing I walk every single day but the thing is the algorithm is not based on how much you walk it takes how much you walk and it adds steps to it so let's say that you walk 7,000 steps a day it challenges you to walk 9,000 steps a day for four days of the week And if you walk 7,000 steps a day, it challenges you for two days of the week to walk 11,000 steps. 
So that's kind of the deal. And so I evaluate this. Now, here's the thing. I've been trying to walk around 14,000 steps a day. So the algorithm says to me, I have to walk 17,000 steps a day to meet my goal. Two days of the week, I walk 20,000 steps. If you are keeping score at home, here's what's taking place there. I'm going to Disney World every single day of my life. But there are no rides. There are just chemical plants. That's what's happening. I call two of our church, text two of our church members, and I tell them, hey, there's this competition. You should join this competition. So they're in it with me. And we are all miserable together for $11 payoff. That's what's happening. But I will get this. I don't care if my leg frostbite this week. I'm going to get this thing done every single day. Advancement hurts. Paul looks at his scenario and says, this advancement may hurt. This difficulty may cause pain. It may cause problems. For us as believers in Jesus, how often do we see this, that advancement may be painful? Tim Keller, pastor, says this, While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. That's what we know. That's why Tim Keller is my second favorite Presbyterian. Josh is my favorite. The word advance in this passage means to cut before, to blaze a trail. It's usually talked to, the word used to talk about pioneers who open the way for an army to march into a new territory. It's the attitude of John the Baptist when he says, Are you the one or should I wait for another? It's the idea that we see in the Gospels where the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. Paul's in prison, but he's not just in prison. He's in prison. The Imperial Guard, they're a cross between the Marines, the Secret Service, Homeland Security with a sprinkling of a ninja. You may say to me, Chad, there are no ninjas in the Bible. That's because they're good ninjas, people. (laughs) This Imperial Guard would overthrow Caesars at times. They would choose them. They would overthrow them. They They were power players in this world. They are chained to Paul, but they're not just chained to Paul. Paul wasn't chained to a guard. The guard's chained to him. There's this rotation every single day where these imperial guards who interact with the house of Caesar, the king of the known world, have to listen to this crazy man babble about a crucified king. We cannot overlook the possibilities that have been presented to Paul. These men are used to a gospel, they're used to a gospel of power. And here is the gospel that they know. That there is a good news of Caesar and Caesar brings peace and justice to the world. But here they are hearing about a man who is supposedly dead. And not just any kind of dead, crucifixion kind of dead, the worst kind of dead. And he is going to bring everlasting hope and joy. And they're hearing this message from an inmate and they cannot get away from him. The Imperial Guard was a 12-year commitment. Some went on to become commanding generals of large forces. Others went into public office, became senators and ambassadors to other countries. Still others advanced into the top echelons of business and industry. As a group, they were the movers, they were the shakers, they were movers and shakers. They, They were the opinion leaders, they were the thought leaders. They were kingmakers. And every day they're chained to this babbler hearing the message of the good news of Jesus over and over and over. They were powerful and they were strategic. Yet here they were being used by the strategy of God to advance this good gospel. If you wanted to influence the Roman Empire, you could not pick a better group to start with. This message of Paul is one of advancement. And he sees himself in this low place. 
thinking less of himself, seeing the weakness of his world. It's post-Super Bowl, it's pre-baseball. And I remember when I was in high school and college, I would watch late night ESPN, there's just nothing on, nothing on ever. You're watching bowling and darts and chess. That's what's taking place at 2 in the morning on ESPN. When you begin to talk about chess, there, there are the idea of the pawns. Pawns are used to advance the game. They're really important. One famous chess player, a chess player of his age, named Francois-André Donikin Philidor, or I'll just call him Frankie D. He said this, They are the soul of chess, the pawn. It is they which uniquely determine the attack and the defense, and on their good or bad arrangement depends entirely the winning or losing of the game. Paul sees himself to advance the gospel in this pawn position. We, we begin to think about what it means for you to live in this society, for what it means for you to live in this community, for what it means for you to interact daily with people who work at plants and people who interact with you at school and on ball fields. And I just have a few questions for us to ask ourselves. Our plant workers have opportunities to say, I know that you're here to get overtime and time and a half and double time and half time and all the times because you think money is ultimate. But here's what I've got to tell you. I believe that Jesus is ultimate. To my ball parents, and I know we've got ball parents, we have soccer ball, we have baseball, we have football, we have badminton, we got it all. And I love it. I'm glad you guys hoop it up. But if your kids' teammates are seeing you treat baseball or soccer or badminton or whatever as ultimate, why would they ever believe that Jesus is? If that's setting your schedule, setting your time, setting the framework for how you live... Why would they believe that Jesus is ultimate? Why would they not believe that he's just the, the, the Brussels sprouts on the side of your faith brisket? If we as followers of Jesus don't look and evaluate how we live and why we live that way and who we are and why we are that way, we're missing what it means to be gospel people who advance the gospel. Let me just ask us all simply this. What would you give up so the gospel may advance? Would you sacrifice your personal wealth? Would you realign your family's schedule? Would you read a book or have a conversation that makes you feel a tad bit uncomfortable? Would you allow the Bible to stir up the tension in your heart that it intends to stir up? Because make no bones about it, the Bible wants to stir up the tension in your heart. Would you sacrifice your religious freedom for the sake of the good gospel that is Jesus's? Why would anyone ever ask me to sacrifice my religious freedom? We have a man who is the second most influential person to our faith sitting in prison in this story. It's the deal. If Jesus is not ultimate, that means that something else is. Paul's imprisonment has pushed other believers to boldness for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Notice what happens in this conflict and competition we see in verses 14 through 17. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord for my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. There are some within the church, many believe, who were jealous of Paul, and now that he's in prison, he's no longer on the conference circuit. They're taking advantage of that. So that they can be the, the next goat. They can take his place. We'll be the gospel preacher. 
They preach out of envy and rivalry. They wanted to see Paul cause difficulty. Going as far as pointing out that he would not be in his situation if God were really on his side. Wait, you mean to tell me that this dates back? The idea that God being on your side means that you have health and wealth, that that dates back to the days of Paul? Before that... There's always been this thing to who God is that we would live in this world and we would, <laughs> we would be blessed because we follow Him. Yet Jesus, Jesus, who the whole thing's based upon, says, in this world you'll have many troubles. Why do we keep placing our hope in this trouble-filled world and not the Jesus who has overcome it? Some wanted to look at Paul and say to him, your story doesn't matter. One pastor who I love says, Your little story can only become big when it gets swept up in the story of Jesus. How swept up is your story in the story of Jesus? Not just yours, but mine. How swept up of our stories in the story of Jesus, the hope of the world that is Christ crucified, resurrected, standing triumphantly over sin, death, hell, and it all. The others, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. The word translated for selfish ambition there, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I can barely pronounce English words. It, it means this. It was used to describe a selfish worker interested only in his own pay or politician who was, a, who was seeking self-seeking pursuit of office regardless of the means. He's just doing everything he can to be in the right place. Some believe that these people were just... People stood standing on the corners of this very, the various towns whispering and grumbling about this weird babbler that they heard about from the book of Acts chapter 17. There are all these things tied around Paul. But Paul says this, the gospel of Jesus advances. The message of hope advances. The conversation about Jesus is advancing. Let's make sure that we are an advancing people. Why does it matter, Paul says? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. Whenever we see the word rejoice, it's based in the word joy. And he says that in essence, I'm going to rejoice, or I'm going to find joy over and over and over, and then I will continue to find joy over and over and over. I'm so unlike Paul. I'm, I've, I so miss that my circumstances and my situations, that God is providential in those things. We can misunderstand who our God is and why our God is that for the sake of thinking that we know better. But Paul says, I've got this deal and I'm working through this deal and I'm going to find joy over and over and over and over he says, I know it's going to lead my, to my salvation. That's a really good phrase. It's helpful because many believe and trust that Paul believed that he's going to get to the other side of this. But his concern is not whether or not he's getting out of prison. His great concern is this, that the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed. That the good news of Jesus is spoken to a dying world because the entirety of the Roman world has the rules and regulations of being Roman in place. And they are told that peace and hope and everything else is found in this political system. And Paul, this little old man, he's like 40. That was old in the Bible. Not old now. Spry. is handcuffed to jailer after jailer 
after jailer. And he is saying to them, I know that you think power comes from what's without, but power really comes from who makes himself known. This Jesus. And he takes the words of Jesus seriously. That in this world you'll have many troubles. Locked to another man. Can't move. But he finds joy over and over and over and continues to find joy over and over and over. Because his hope is Jesus. We get caught up in grumbling. We'll talk about that in a few days. What if we didn't? The passage continues, verse 20. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. But Paul, the term there that he's using about not being ashamed is a military term. Paul would drop some baseball knowledge and he would open up the encyclopedia or Wikipedia and bring out some history references. He didn't have Wikipedia. It's a military term. He's saying, I'm not going to run from battle for fear of embarrassment. This is in front of me and the gospel is going to advance. I will not be embarrassed because of it. I'm going forward. How is the gospel going forward here? How is the gospel going into plants? How is the gospel going on to playgrounds? How is the gospel going into neighborhoods? Is the gospel this good news of Jesus that is always good news? Is it speaking into every situation, every circumstance, every complication, every concern? Are we seeing our world in the way that Jesus does? A place that needs hope. Hope to pierce it. Because this world needs hope to pierce it. It needs to see the gospel forcefully advancing. And God has enabled and empowered us as his people to be that. To be pawns for the sake of the gospel advancing. Declaring that our king is Jesus and our king is good. And not allowing everything that is sinful and death-filled and hellacious to undo us. Martin Luther said this, Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little world word shall fail him. That little word? Jesus. But not the Jesus who we have created and conjured up that looks a whole lot like us or Bradley Cooper. The Jesus of scriptures, crucified, resurrected, the hope of the world. Live that. If you've got questions about that, we would love to chat with you about what it means for you to know and follow Jesus, for you to place your trust in Jesus. For us to be a hope-filled people because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Do this with me this morning. I invite you to bow your head.
outside of Jesus, Paul, the most influential person in the New Testament, that another person that comes alongside of that closely is the person of Peter. And I want to read over us what it means for Jesus to be our hope based on the words of Peter. Peter, who many of us line up with, who many of us see ourselves in light of. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, though... And you rejoice with inexpressible and, and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus is spoken to about Peter. What, what Peter says here lines up with everything Paul says. That we will be people who know Jesus, his imperishable, undefiled riches, the resurrection that is stored up for us because of him. We're going to sing. If you need me, I'm in the back right hand corner, my back right hand corner of the room. I'd love to pray with you. If you need to follow up with us about being part of a life group or some type of follow up in regard to your relationship with Christ, please touch base with me. Jesus, you're good to us. And we thank you that you speak truth to us. And God, when you speak truth to us, you pierce death and hell. There is only hope in you, Jesus. So God, I pray that we would repent of placing our hope in other places. As convenient as those places may be. And I pray that we would be uncomfortable for the sake of your gospel. Hoping and praying that the kingdom forcefully advances. We ask all of this in your name, Christ.